You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, 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 let's, uh, let's see where or oh, where to begin. Let's start with this. I see a lot of people recently have been talking about Matt LaFleur's comments from the uh, owners meeting about adding veteran wide receivers. And I, I want to start with this because I find this somewhat hilarious. The comments that were made by Matt LaFleur were, um, I think some veteran leadership would be nice. He goes on to talk about some more things, but I don't want to read that because that's going to give all the fun away. Matt LaFleur said something to the effect of, what do we only got like five guys and then listed just a bunch of rookies and whatnot. And then Rob Domofsky posted this, uh, his article from ESPN, Packers, Dobbs, Watson, a good start, but loves need more receivers. Packers, Dobbs, Watson, a good start, but love need more receiver help. Story here via ESPN. And then, um, this is a story, by the way, McQuaid Arnold, Arnold wrote uh, Wisconsin Sports Heroics, but he laid out a bunch of comments to that tweet. Let me read a couple of these. LOL, classic. It was fine last year, though. Packers need GM help. Funny how that opinion wasn't there last year. People seem really offended that Matt LaFleur says we need more wide receivers and could use some veteran wide receivers because apparently it's completely unfair that they want to do that for love but didn't want to do that for Aaron Rodgers. Now, I'm guessing 95% of you, this is like a movie that has like a, uh, a twist to it, but everybody kind of sees the twist coming. But for the 5% of you that can't see it coming, it's going to be a doozy. So Matt LaFleur would like some veteran help and talked about possibly going out and getting someone because we need veteran help and because we're a little thin as far as personnel. So we're going to need to add more bodies. Do you know where we were about nine, ten months ago? We had three of the same guys, Christian Watson, uh, Romeo Dobbs, and Samore Ture. We also had Danny Davis, Malik Taylor, Amari Rogers. Juwan Winfrey, Sammy Watkins, Randall Cobb, and Alan Lazard. We had 10 wide receivers. So when they say they're going to need some more bodies, I would say it's safe to say that they would need some more bodies. When they say they need some veterans, so that it's not all just young guys, maybe what he means is something like Alan Lazard, something like Randall Cobb, something like Sammy Watkins. Before you jump into, yeah, well, Sammy wasn't any good, that isn't the point. Do you think the plan for Jordan Love is to go out and get a really good veteran wide receiver? First of all, the uh, president and CEO of the Green Bay Packers has already said we don't have any money, so we won't be making any big splashes. Even if we could, again, remember the rule, you have to tell me the player. If you can't tell me the player, then you can't expect me or Brian Gutekunst to magically manifest this person out of thin air. Nobody said Jordan Love is getting an elite level veteran. They just said veteran. And that's what Sammy Watkins was. That's what Randall Cobb was. And that's what Alan Lazard was. And depending on how long you have to be in the league to be a veteran, Malik Taylor and Joan Winfrey would qualify. They need more bodies and more experience. 
That's all that was said, and that's all we've had every single year of Aaron Rodgers' entire career, including last year, when they already had a bunch of bodies and a bunch of veterans and still added another one. So shut up with your nonsense. There has never been a thinner, less experienced wide receiver core for the Green Bay Packers, I think, in my entire lifetime. And we're going to really sit here and pretend that Jordan Love is getting special treatment over Aaron Rodgers. The Packers tried to break the bank to keep his wide receiver and Devontae Adams here so that they wouldn't have this situation. Randall Cobb got a personal flight back from Aaron Rodgers on his private jet, all because Aaron Rodgers said so. The idea that he's getting some kind of a special uh, thing that, that Aaron Rodgers never got? Good freaking lord. By the way, we also don't have any tight ends. Aaron Rodgers had Robert Tunyon, Mercedes Lewis, Josiah DeGuara, Dominique Daphne, Tyler Davis, Alizé Mack, and Eli Wolf about 10 months ago. Everybody was allowed to leave the moment Rodgers left, leaving the cupboard high and dry for Jordan Love. Josiah DeGuara, Tyler Davis, Nick Gugamos, and Austin Allen. That's the tight end group that he has to work with. All that experience that goes along with Mercedes Lewis and Robert Tunyon, the top two tight ends for this team for several years, are gone. Top wide receiver that we had left over. Alan Lazard, the most experienced guy, gone. By the way, MVS is gone. All, all the experience is gone. Randall Cobb is gone. Everybody's gone. And I got to sit here and read comments from people saying that Jordan Love is getting special treatment because Gutekunst just hated Aaron Rodgers. Oh, that poor victim. That poor, poor man who got every single thing he could ever want, who had Hall of Fame caliber wide receivers and offensive lines throughout his entire career, they went out and got freaking tight end after tight end for the guy, paid $10 million a year for, uh, for Jimmy Graham, they got Mercedes Lewis, they got Lance Kendrick. Remember that? We had Mercedes Lewis, Lance Kendricks, and Jimmy Graham all on the team at the same time. At the same time, we had Robert Tunyon and everybody else. We broke the bank for freaking tight ends, and that's when we had Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams here, and his buddy Jake Kummerow and MVS. Now, when that didn't work, what did we do? We went on and got Martellus Bennett, and we had Bennett and Kendricks and Richard Rodgers. Because you know what? Jimmy Graham, when he was with Seattle, was actually really good. Then he came here to play with Aaron Rodgers, and he sucked. And then Martellus Bennett was actually really good, and we paid a bunch of money for him, and he came here, and he sucked, and he was a jerk. And before that, we had Jared Cook, right? Spent money on Jared Cook, and he actually did a pretty decent job toward the end of the season, but Ted Thompson let him walk. And then we got Martellus Bennett, and then we got Lance Kendricks, and then we got Jimmy Graham. And this is all overlapped with Devontae Adams and Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb, along with, let's see, the offensive line of David Bakhtiari, Josh Sitton, J.C. Treader, T.J. Lang, and Brian Balaga. Good Lord, one of the greatest offensive lines the Packers have seen. Corey Lindsay was a freaking backup that year. Lucas Patrick was third string. Oh, man. This poor victim. Eddie Lacy and James Starks in the backfield. Ripkowski at tight end. Good times, man. Peppers and Clay, Mike Daniels, Latroy Guyon, Mike Pinnell. We had Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry that year as backups. 2016. No wonder 2016 was such a good year. Good Lord. We had Jake Ryan and Sam Barrington as linebackers. Morgan Burnett and HaHa with Sam Shields at corner. Demarius was, was there too, but still, not everything can be perfect. Micah Hyde was our return man. Jeez. We had Chris Banjo, Ladarius Gunter. Man, 2016 was good times. Good times, man. But no, Jordan Love's getting special treatment. Gutekunst is giving him special treatment 
because the head coach said, gee, maybe we could use a little bit of extra of, uh, depth and experience at the wide receiver group because we have second-year receivers Watson, Dobbs, and Ture, and then also have Jeff Cotton and Bo Melton. And all he said was, maybe we could use a little bit more there. But yeah, if we draft a receiver, that's that's Gutekunst being biased. If we go out and get somebody in free agency, that's that's biased. That's unfair. But then if they don't pan out, then he didn't do enough, right? Because it's just, it's just find ways to trash the guy no matter what. Let me get you in a little secret. They're going to add pieces because they have to. Here's another secret. They're probably not going to be Hall of Fame players based on common sense. So get your pitchforks and your torches ready because it's coming. Now, to be clear, that doesn't necessarily mean that a big name player isn't going to be traded, but a good player, probably not. The, the two names that have been uh, bantered around, which probably is not going to happen, by the way, because this is not generally the Packers style, but Julio Jones and DeAndre Hopkins. And the only reason I say that is because their uh, trade value is pretty low these days and manageable. The problem is the contract kind of sucks. I think if you can get a trade done prior to June 1st, um, the Cardinals would end up eating a ton of that money. And we would get him for $9 million this year and about $15 million next year, which is pretty reasonable. He's 31 years old. My only question then would become, because um, somebody had off, who was this that came up with this? Uh, Kenneth Tape, NFL analyst, whatever. He suggested that maybe the Packers give, could give up a third and a fifth for him. Now, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that. He's a veteran. He's got a ton of talent. I obviously are not going to get you know, the peak DeAndre Hopkins from him, but we're not paying that. $9 million, a third and a fifth, I wouldn't hate it. But here's the thing. If we trade him prior to June 1st and they end up eating a $21 million cap hit, are we going to end up having to pay more in terms of compensation? Because I, I don't hate that. I don't want the third round pick anyways. Fifth round pick is, is whatever. Probably want to see how the draft shakes out, but we're going to need somebody anyway. The, the only problem would be if we have Dobbs and Watson and we get, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba or something and we get DeAndre Hopkins. It's, it's just, it's just I, I guess it's just going to be a kind of a heavy rotation, which I suppose is fine. But you would feel like DeAndre would be out there all the time. So there just wouldn't be as much Dobbs, Watson, and I guess and Jigba would just stay in the slot. But it's worth looking at, I suppose, um, in terms of, you know, how he's been doing. I think the interesting thing about it is there seems to be a general decline, right? From 2014, which was his second year, all the way through 2020, his first year with Arizona, he's been pretty steady. He did have a down year in 2016 for some random reason. I'm sure if you look at it, the quarterback situation or whatever, you'd be able to figure out what that reason is. Or it's just a down year. Stuff happens. But the last two years, there's been a bit of a decline. So if you look at, again, 2014 through 2020, you've been in about mid-80s through low-90s. We'll call it, let's see, 84 to 92. Just uh, if we don't include that one down here, 84, 91, 90, 92, 88, 87. And you could even call that the, I mean, it's, it's really a, a curve, right? It, it goes up to 92, and then it goes down to 88, down to 87. Um, then the next year, it's 80 which is a somewhat drastic fall-off. And then from there, it goes down to a 73, which is another fall-off. There's two important points here, though. Well, I guess three. One is age, right? He's getting older. Two is a new team. Now, his first year with Arizona was fine, but then it goes down, and then it goes down a lot again. 
But I think the most significant is he was healthy through that entire stretch, 2014 through 2020. He's been injured 2021 and 2022. Now, that doesn't work in his favor. But my only question is, if he had played the entire season, and let's just say in a more functional offense, how would he have done? And by the way, in 2021, um, he played in 10 games and had eight touchdowns. And no more than two in any one game. So he was just consistently getting touchdowns. So he wasn't having the worst season, even though he only played 10 games. So it's somewhat of a, uh, you know, it, it, it's good, but it's bad. Back-to-back seasons being injured is a bad thing because it projecting it out, you know, similar to Sammy Watkins, where you look at it and say, if he stays healthy, I wonder if he can play well. But on the other hand, you look at it and say, there's very little reason to believe he would stay healthy the entire season. And the, the second year was even, I think, worse for him because he missed the entire start of the season and then he missed the latter portion of it. So we're talking, apparently, I don't know, it looks to be two separate injuries that year. He didn't start until week seven. And his first game back, he had 103 yards. And then his second game, 160 yards and a touchdown. But then week 16 was his last game. But still, in nine games, he had 717 yards. So the guy was on pace in a healthy year for, you know, 1,400 yards and, you know, six touchdowns or something. But again, either way, you slice it. And remember, the, the quarterback situation was a mess. The head coach got fired. The, I mean, it was just, it's, a, it's an absolute mess over there in Arizona. Um, with, you know, again, the, the quarterback screaming at the coach and staying up playing video games all night and everything. And then you've got this dynamic DeAndre, who's kind of just not there very much. The other question, though, is when you say you want veteran leadership, DeAndre Hopkins' character comes into play. And I don't know anything about it. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm, but the point is, I don't know. If he is a good person that's going to add to your locker room, then the injuries and stuff don't matter as much. If he's not a good character person, then the production doesn't matter as much. We probably don't want him here. He needs to understand that his role, on top of producing whatever he can, is to help bring up some of the young guys. So if he has that kind of character that we've been talking about in terms of being a grinder, um, always having your head in the book, and is going to help foster that kind of an environment, then that's probably a good person to bring along. And again, I don't know what the compensation is. I know the Cardinals have been asking for way, way, way too much. Um, but if that ever did get down to being something like a third and a fifth, and if I'm right about the compensation being like nine some odd million, which maybe we can't necessarily swing at this time. I don't know if we can even afford that. I'm not sure. But I find those numbers to be reasonable. Let's just put it that way. And then, of course, there's Julio Jones. And it's funny because Julio Jones is sort of the exact same situation, except he's in year four of this. He had been great all the way through his time in Atlanta, but his last year in Atlanta, he was hurt. And then he had a year in Tennessee where he was hurt. And then Tampa Bay took him on, and you could look at it and say the exact same thing. He's graded out fine. He's still produced in terms of the yardage based on the time he was there. And what if he's actually healthy for an entire year? The problem is he wasn't healthy. He played, you know, again, about a half a year. And he had the worst year of his career. He had a 66 overall grade. Only actually had two games in which he graded out as good or better. 81 against Seattle, 77 against Dallas. Otherwise, it was 60, 50, 60, 60, 50, 60, 60, 50, 60. That's what he did for the entire year. 373 yards and three touchdowns. And again, all the little drive-by people that love to 
say all this stuff about should have been Julio, this, that, or the other, they're real quiet now. Because rather than learning something and saying, you know what, maybe I was wrong, we just move on to the next thing. So allow me to be the first to tell you, you are very wrong. And I know a lot of people didn't want Julio also. But, but again, tell me who. And then when you're wrong, man up. And that is being brought up again, by the way, the potential for the Packers to end up landing Julio Jones. Again, entirely possible that he has a healthy season and everything's fine, but he's a year older. It's been three years in a row now for Julio that he's been injured. His play has been declining. He's another year older. There's just become less and less reason to, you know, I mean, again, it's been four years since the guy's produced in the NFL at a high level. 2019 in Atlanta, 1,400 yards and six touchdowns. I mean, you, you can go back to 2020 was a decent enough year as far as his grade, but injured 700 yards, three touchdowns is all he produced. And he's now 34 years old. So even if he's healthy, there's really no reason to believe that he's going to produce anything. And, and that's evident in his grades when he was playing. You know, the whole win healthy thing? Okay, well, was he healthy weeks 8, 9, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 in the wild card? Because he didn't do anything. His grades were terrible. But he gets, a, according to this, a one-year $6 million deal with the Buccaneers and everybody throws a temper tantrum. I can't believe the Packers wouldn't pay $6 million for a four-time, six-time Pro Bowler, whatever he is, eight-time Pro Bowler. We love throwing those titles around like it means something, don't we? Yeah, when did he win those Pro Bowls? wasn't in the last three years. Some of the other names that are brought up in this article here, uh, Julio Jones, Robbie Anderson, Kenny Galladay, Jarvis Landry, Nikhil Harry. Again, we all love the big names. Julio Jones, Kenny Galladay, Jarvis Landry. Maybe some people have an affinity for Robbie Anderson. I know nobody likes Nikhil Harry, myself included. But the question isn't how big is their name. The question isn't how good were they five years ago. The question isn't, you know, comparing their cost to their the, the prominence of their name. I mean, we can get them for, you know, $4 million. How could you not? The question is, what is a reasonable expectation for what they're going to bring to the team? And the, the two variables here are production on the field, and probably as much as nobody wants to hear it, more importantly than that, is what are they going to do in our locker room? And honestly, the first person that comes to my mind when I think about that is Jarvis Landry, when I think locker room guy. No idea what he's been doing, no idea anything about his production, nothing. But in my mind, when I think Locker room guy, I think Jarvis Landry. When I think hard worker, when I think a guy that the wide receivers will look up to and love and admire, that's where my mind goes. So on that note, let's see what he's doing. Jarvis Landry, uh, looks like last year, first of all, he's only 31, which, you know, you cross in the 30 mark, but it's, he's not 35, which if you'd have told me he was 34, 35, I would have been like, oh, dang, I guess I, I guess that seems about right. So they uh, last year did a one-year deal with the Saints worth up to $6 million. Base salary comes in at $3 million. And once again, everybody's in an uproar. I can't believe it. This, it the, the article literally said the Saints have done it once again, getting another uh, player on a cheap deal or whatever. Well, he produced 272 yards and a touchdown, so $3 million was probably overpaying. But again, very similar situation. In fact, he's, he's almost exactly in line with um, DeAndre Hopkins. Dominant wide receiver from 2014 through 2020 in Miami and Cleveland. 2021, he was injured, and his grade went from an 85 down to a 66 in Cleveland. So then he walks, New Orleans picks him up, same thing, he plays even less, only had 37 targets, 25 receptions, 
and had a 67 grade. So again, two years, two injuries, the production dropped, the grades dropped. It's like these these top-end wide receivers, man, they get that first injury, and it's just time to take them out to pasture, man. Because every year they're getting hurt. They never seems to ha- seem to have that one healthy year. They never have that rebound year. I mean, I'm trying to find the guy who has the rebound year. And every single one of them, they, it's just the same thing. And, and the th- again, healthy every single year. His targets since 2014, 105, 155, 136, 156, 137, 130, 115. Then drops down to 79, and then this year 37. He uh, had one good game, and that was week one. Which, of course, that's that's the thing when everybody sees him. He goes for 114 yards, no touchdowns, but 114 yards on seven receptions. Everybody says, and they got him for $3 million, I can't believe it, blah, 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 blah. 85 grade. Didn't do a single thing after that. He did have one good uh, grade, which was his only touchdown game of the season in week 11, 77. Otherwise, 50-60, 50-60, That was it. Again, didn't even crack 300 yards, only had the one touchdown. So... Um, he would be very cheap, I can tell you that, if they got him for uh, last year, coming off just one injury. Remember, he, he was a really good football player for two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years running. Had one year injured, and apparently his value drops down to one year, three million. Which could go up to six, you know, with incentives and everything, but that's the thing, it becomes very incentive-based. We're going to start by assuming you're going to get hurt again. But if you don't, and you produce a bunch, and you go right back to who you were, we'll pay you for it. And I, I have no problem with those contracts. I don't know if we can afford those contracts, because if he produces, it's like, oh, sorry, I, I was lying. We don't actually have money for that, so we won't be paying you. But again, would the Packers be willing to give him a low contract with no genuine expectation of, of him staying healthy and producing at a high level, but just being a locker room guy? I don't know. I don't know. I would. Assuming he's very cheap. I mean, if he if he really is three million, like again, let's say there's no six million upside. It's just let's say you know four or five million, whatever. I don't know, or just none, just three million. That's what you get. I think I would like that. If assuming I'm right, I could be wrong. I don't know. That that is my understanding of Jarvis is that he's a great locker room character guy. Could be way off. I don't know. Been poking around a little bit. I found this article which. Not only does it showcase leadership, but it's the exact type that I've been talking about. Uh, Kind of a random site, uh, firstsports.com. But uh, this video surfaced here. That been here in the past, and that's why the past has been like it is, bro. That is over with here, bro. If you can practice, practice. You can't get no better. Ain't nobody going to get better by being on the sideline if you ain't hurt. If you're not hurt, you got to practice because you make other work even harder now they have more risk of getting hurt it's hard to hear because every other word is a swear so it gets bleeped out but um he's talking to the cleveland browns guys he's in a meeting room he's talking about guys who are not practicing when they need to be practicing he said that's been here in the past and that's why the past has been like it is talking about the cleveland browns and why they've been garbage for as long as they have he said, that stuff is over with here. If you can practice, practice. You can't get any better. Nobody's going to get any better being on the effing sideline. If you ain't hurt, you're not effing hurt. You got to practice. Landry was pretty enraged at his teammates over their attitude and how casually they were sitting on the bench despite being healthy. He believed that the attitude hurt the entire morale of the team. 
He goes on to say, I'm hurt and I'm tired just like everybody here, but I'm not taking any more days off because I can't be great that way. That's got to be the attitude and mentality all the time. All that week, stuff doesn't, uh, that stuff doesn't live here anymore. It's contagious. It's really contagious. This is what I'm talking about. A guy that's seen it. He's seen this cancer spread in a locker room where it becomes okay to take time off. It becomes okay to not practice. It becomes okay to not give your best. And Jarvis Landry wouldn't stand for it. But the, uh, the quote here in the title says, I ain't taking effing days off because I can't be great that way. That's literally exactly what I've been talking about this whole time. Don't talk to me about greatness if you're not putting in the work. You know the saying, want in one hand, something, something. We won't talk about, see which one fills up first. I think, that, I think it's wish, but it works the same way. You can want it all you, all, all you want. Do it. And I tell you what, I, I, I could be wrong, but if, if that still is Jarvis Landry's mentality, I don't think this would be a terrible place for him to be. Because I think he has that here. I think he has young, hungry guys that, that are ready to receive that message. Guys that are not going to sit on the sidelines. He's not going to have to tell Romeo Dobbs, hey, why don't we stay after practice? Because Dobbs is already planning on doing that anyways. He might have to say, Christian, some more. Like, guys, none of us are walking off the field, just so you know. And then you get that kind of mentality on offense, and then there's a competitive, fierce attitude on defense to want to keep up and, and, and compete with that. Well, you guys leaving? Okay, we're working. So I don't know. I, I'm, that's, I guess, just more an illustration of my thought process. Everybody wants to go out and get this guy that's going to come in and just tear up the league. I don't know that that's necessarily an option. But I look at Jarvis and I look at what he's been able to do and where he's been and what he's done and what he can contribute. And I think it could be a, a huge benefit. I don't know, I think. Anyways, why don't we take a quick break and we'll just keep on rolling. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so there was uh, Peter King put out his, uh, it's not Monday morning quarterback anymore. What is it? Football morning in America or something. Uh, a couple comments about the Aaron Rodgers situation. The first thing he brought up was he doesn't really expect Aaron Rodgers to participate in the Jets' uh, OTAs or anything. Anything that's not mandatory, I would assume he means. Which he said the Jets 
have said they kind of don't care as long as there's rapport or whatever, which is what the Packers said, and they were full of crap anyways. Of course, you want your quarterback to be there. But then he goes on to say, I think the over-under date for Aaron Rodgers' trade is the uh, evening of April 28th, which is the second day of the draft, which is kind of weird because, I mean, I get it if you think it's going to be a second-round pick or second-round picks or whatever the compensation is, but I would still think that would get done before, so I would, I don't know, it's kind of a weird day to pick, but I think he's making a point that it's the second round is, is what matters. It says the Jets will have the 11th and 12th picks in the second round, 42nd and 43rd overall. And I'd bet one of those picks will be the key to getting this trade done. So for those of us hoping this gets done sooner than later, let's hope that it's sooner. Uh, He also said this was, I found this interesting. I think uh, this illustrates the Rogers mania in New York these days. On March 21st, Rogers went out for coffee in Thousand Oaks, California. A photographer saw him, took some photos, and those photos were obtained by the New York Post. The paper wrote a story about the presumably future Jets quarterback going out for coffee. That was the number two sports story on our website for the day, said the paper's Jets scribe, Brian Costello. The appetite for anything Rodgers right now is just insatiable. He then goes on to say, I think what Brian, uh, excuse me, what uh, Green Bay coach Matt LaFleur said about at the meetings about being patient with Jordan Love is absolutely apt. The first starting seasons in Green Bay for Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, and then he posts the stats. Brett Favre, 13 starts. Um, 3,200 yards, 18 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, 85.3 passer rating, and the team went 8-5. and five. Aaron Rodgers, uh, 16 starts, 4,000 yards, 28 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, 93.8 passer rating, the team went 6-10. and 10. Says these two great quarterbacks collectively went 14-15 and 15 in their first seasons as starters with 26 interceptions. And surprisingly, it was 13-13, and 13, not 20 for Favre and 6 for Rodgers. Also, interesting uh, little tidbit here that maybe, maybe everybody knew this except me. I don't know. But I found this by poking around a little bit. Do you know where Chris Barnes, Green Bay Packers linebacker, was when Jordan Love got drafted? He was at Jordan Love's house. Chris Barnes, the guy that we picked up as an undrafted free agent after the draft... The same year we got Jordan Love was at Jordan Love's house when we drafted Jordan Love. Now, I went back and looked to see if he was on the actual video. I didn't see him there. Uh, so I don't know if he was another room or what. I don't know. But the reason being, uh, apparently, not only did they go to the same high school together, but they've been friends since middle school and maybe before that. Played football together. Um, again, on the same high school football team. And then... Um, he apparently Chris Barnes was sort of the star of that high school football team linebacker. He ended up getting a bunch of D1 offers, went to UCLA, and then of course Jordan went over to Utah State. But come draft day, they're both you know getting eligible for the draft, and apparently Chris Barnes went over to uh, Jordan Love's house for the draft. But this is a little snippet from the Bill Michaels show. Uh, Mike Clemens was doing an interview with him, um, and he starts talking about that whole process, and then gets into this part. And then. Um, you know, draft night, he was at my house um, for the draft and, you know, doing his thing, trying to figure out what, what was going to be his situation. And, you know, he got the call that, you know, the Packers wanted him to, uh, you know, come out of camp and things like that, sign as a free agent. And I was like, man, that's crazy. We both both go to the Packers. So, uh, you know, it just worked out. Now, unfortunately, Jordan Love's buddy, it looks like, has uh, officially moved on. Um, I wasn't sure if there was a chance he was going to be coming back, but... About a week ago or so, he did sign with the Arizona Cardinals, so Barnes is is moving on. Still, pretty crazy story. Imagine your friends since middle school, both getting drafted to go to the Green Bay Packers. Anyways, I found that interesting. Um, 
I want to take a little trip. We're, we're, there's a, um, a couple different videos that are doing this right now. I'm going to pick on this for a minute here. This is a NFL on CBS video that was done. Are the Bears the favorite in the NFC North? It's, I, I'm thinking it's somewhat of a misleading title because that's not really what they're talking about. They're just looking at the over-under for the, each team and um, kind of trying to decide where they all fall. And I, I don't think they've necessarily said anything massively unreasonable, especially when you simply look at um, the the win totals. And, and, and the Bears, Packers, Lions, Vikings are all very close together. Generally speaking, not a lot of confidence in any of the teams, which I think makes a lot of sense because I don't think there's any real reason to be massively optimistic about any of these teams. But I do have a little bit of frustration with the narrative surrounding the Chicago Bears, who, as you know, are the worst team in football right now. And I'm again, I'm not opposed to really anything that's being said in, in terms of trying to make a case, but you actually have to make a case that makes sense. So, so there's two big issues that I have with a lot of things that are generally done. Number one is, let's just say, for example, they were to pick on the Green Bay Packers. Generally, what they're going to do is they're going to look at all the negatives and they're going to say, look at this, look at this, look at this. Here's, here's five reasons why they're going to regress. Well, yeah, th- those are five points. But you're not bringing up the totality. See, if you want to try to determine what's going to happen, you have to look at the pros and the cons and then try to figure out where to go from there. It doesn't do any good to simply look at all the cons and say, for these reasons. Because there are things that counteract that on the other side of it. So that's one issue, where you're not wrong about any single thing that you've said. You're just omitting information. But whenever people talk about the Bears, they want so badly to try to spin this in such a way that there's every reason to believe that something magical is going to happen or that things that are magical have already happened. And again, I'm open to it, but you have to try to convince me and tell me what's going on. And every single thing I've heard is completely stupid. And so again, I'm trying to to have an open mind about this, but I'm I'm just listening to the things that are said and I I just, I don't understand it. Here is the first narrative that I've heard several times now that I do not understand. The Bears is probably the most exciting team in the division. I mean, in terms of things that they've done in the offseason, obviously the worst record last year went three. Okay, so obviously worst record in football last year, but probably the most exciting team as far as what they've done this offseason. The most exciting team. The New Orleans Saints have handed out the biggest contract this year to Derek Carr. $150 million, $37.5 million per year average for that contract. That's the biggest contract that's gone out. The second is Jimmy Garoppolo to the Raiders. After that is defensive tackle Javon Hargrave, who was supposed to go to the Bears, but instead went to San Francisco. Supposed to as in according to Bears fans. After that, right tackle. Desperate need for the Chicago Bears. Did he go to the Bears? No, he went to the Kansas City Chiefs. The next biggest contract was the Chicago Bears, and it was a freaking linebacker. $18 million for Tremaine Edmonds, which, as I've already said, is the dumbest thing on planet Earth. They got rid of Roquan Smith, and Bears fans were jumping up and down saying this is a brilliant move because you can't spend that kind of money on a linebacker. It doesn't make any sense. Beyond that, we're in a rebuild. There's no reason to do that. And then we drop $18 million on Tremaine Edmonds. Again, just for context, and this was a couple years ago, but we paid $17.5 million for Zadarius Smith. Tremaine Edmonds has not even been a very good linebacker in the NFL. Notice how it went quarterback, quarterback, 
defensive tackle, offensive tackle, linebacker, and then after that, Mike McGlinchey, another offensive tackle who went to Denver, then a uh, defensive end, Draymond Jones. So, so far, it's been quarterbacks, pass rushers, and offensive tackles. Oh, and then one freaking linebacker. Then Orlando Brown, who uh, went to Cincinnati. Then Jesse Bates, the safety, been highly anticipated him going somewhere for a couple years now. He went to Atlanta. Zach Allen went to the Denver Broncos. Dalvin Tomlinson went to Cleveland. Uh, Jason Kelsey stayed in Philly. Marcus Davenport was a big signing, went to Minnesota. Ben Powers went to Denver. On and on and on and on and on and on and on. All told this offseason, Denver, New Orleans, Atlanta, and the Raiders have all done more than the Chicago Bears in terms of total money handed out. But then again, what did they do exactly to fix their team? They signed 11 players, three inside linebackers, Tremaine Edmonds, TJ Edwards, and Dylan Cole, two quarterbacks, Nathan Peterman and Philip Walker, two running backs, uh, Deontay Foreman and Travis Homer, uh, tight end Robert Tunyon, Andrew Billings, the defensive tackle, and then uh, Demarcus Walker, the defensive end, and Nate Davis, the guard. There is not one superstar on this entire group of 11 players including Tremaine Edmonds, who has paid a disgusting amount of money. By the way, how much work did they do to help their quarterback? They got a guard, a mediocre guard in Nate Davis, and what? Backup tight end Robert Tunyon, backup running backs Travis Homer and Deontay Foreman, and then some backup quarterbacks? The only real big splash, in my opinion, that they made was trading the first-round pick and getting DJ Moore in return. That's it. And DJ Moore is a borderline wide receiver one. If you're going based on PFF, he's kind of in that 32-34 range. I don't have anything against DJ Moore. I think he's a good wide receiver. I'm not, not going to say that, you know, I don't like it just because he went to the Bears. But to sit here and say that they have been the most exciting team this free agency is so stupid. They haven't done anything to really help their team aside from a wide receiver, in my opinion. And the amount of money they spent is insane. There is no team that wasted more money. That is to say, gave more money for less value than Chicago. If there is, I would be freaking stunned. They had so much money and now really are pretty much where everybody else is, where they're pretty much out of money. And they didn't get anything. That's staggering to me. So anyways, I'm not buying that, that they're the most exciting team, but let's continue. Three and 14 had the number one overall pick sent it to Carolina for DJ Moore and then a bunch of other free agent additions, particular to their defense. And now all of a sudden bookmakers have them going at least five more wins. I love it. I think they could get five more wins because some of those games were a little bit close. And we look at the beginning of the season. They they didn't know how to use Justin Fields yet. They've got him some some weapons. So he's not going to be you know running himself into the ground. But I pause. Two, two major points that were made there, um, aside from already addressing what we've already addressed. Number one, got some playmakers so he doesn't have to run himself into the ground or whatever. No, they really didn't, aside from DJ Moore. right? But they still have the same group of guys that they had last year. Same tight end, same wide receivers, one less running back, who was a big part of that team. And, and according to 
One article I read, not only were the Vikings trying to get David Montgomery, uh, the Lions, by the way, ended up getting him. Not only did the Vikings want him, but apparently the Bears also tried to re-sign him, and he ended up going to Detroit. So to say that you're going to go from a three-win team to an eight-win team because of DJ Moore, that's crazy. But then the biggest thing is, well, they didn't really know how to use him, and then they kind of figured it out. Okay. Two out of those three wins came in the first three weeks. Three out of their three wins came in the first seven weeks. After week seven, they lost to Dallas, they lost to Miami, they lost to Detroit, they lost to Atlanta, they lost to the Jets, they lost to the Packers, they lost to the Eagles, they lost to the Bills, they lost to the Lions, and then they lost to the Vikings. So, again, if you want to try to come up with some kind of an argument for why things are going to be great, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to listen. But if you're telling me it's because they got off to a really bad start, and had a couple uh, bad breaks with close games, but then figured it out later on in the year, and I go and look, and they didn't win a single game beyond week six, or excuse me, week seven, I'm going to go ahead and call BS on that. I think you're just saying things without having any idea what you're talking about. In fact, way, way down the stretch, if we start in week 12, they only had one game where they scored 20 points or more, and they scored exactly 20. Starting in week 12, and they had one bye week, and there was, it was 10 points, 19, 20, 13, 10, and 13. That's how they ended the season. Didn't exactly turn on the Jets there, did they? So, no, I'm not really buying it, to be honest with you. And no, most of their losses were not close. They had close games, like every team had close games. But most of their games were just getting their teeth kicked in. But then after... Um, the, do they say who the hosts are? Katie Mox. After her point, Will Brinson jumps in and basically says, I don't really buy it. Brings up two good points. Number one, you can take a step forward and still not be a very good team, which I think is the case with the Bears. D- do I think it's a given that they pick number one overall? No. But do I think that because they took a couple steps forward, assuming that happens, that they're all, all of a sudden going to be an eight-win, nine-win, ten-win team? No. Uh, what I'm looking at is a team that is maybe marginally better. By the way, it's hard to only win three games. Bad teams accidentally win four or five games all the time. Six games, you're a bad team. Seven games, you're not a great team. I'm not going to assume three or less wins, but I also don't think they're very good. But he brought up another point. He said, you know, if, because, you know, again, was her name Katie? brought up this thing where they kind of figured out how to use them. What did they figure out? Because I know what she's referencing. They changed the offense so that it became more scary and dynamic and you saw more big plays and all that kind of stuff. But what did they change? They decided, forget it, we're not going to throw anymore because he can't do it. And they turned it into a run first team and they got Justin Fields running more. And that kept defenses off balance and it was kind of a thing that defenses had a hard time taking advantage of. But the reality is, as he pointed out, They're probably going to try to get him to take a step forward as a passer in the system, but they tried that last year and it failed, so they got away from it. And so all I can think, aside from just wanting this to be a thing where the Bears and Justin Fields become great, because again, they, despite Chicago Bears fans' belief that everybody discredits Justin Fields, the guy is legitimately, with Zach Wilson not starting, he, he is right now the worst quarterback in the NFL. Now we'll have to see how everything sorts out and who takes a step and who doesn't, but it was Zach Wilson, then Justin Fields, and Zach Wilson isn't playing. And by the way, here, here's another question. 
Look at teams with number one overall picks. I know they traded it, but you get what I'm saying. Worst team in the NFL. Has there ever been a team that had the number one overall pick that had a really, really good quarterback on it? Because the, the, the point that's always being made is he's a great quarterback, but he just doesn't have enough help, which hilariously is what we've been hearing about Aaron Rodgers all these years. Not that I buy it, but I don't remember us getting the number one overall pick. Generally speaking, if you have a, let's just say, top five or even top ten quarterback, I really, really have a hard time believing you're going to end up with the number one overall pick, regardless of how bad everything else is around you. But again, there's just this feeling that, well, we, we just assume that Fields is great and that he's going to take a step, which it's funny how they try to toe the line, right? On one hand, we talk about how he needs to take a step as a passer. But on the other hand, we're so scared of, of mentioning that the guy can't throw that it always comes back to, well, he doesn't have any help. He doesn't have any help. Well, are we acknowledging that the guy can't throw? I mean, it's just, it's like, it, 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 I didn't play the clip, but even Will Brinson was like, we, there's this weird thing where you, you can't even suggest that he's not, maybe we don't know if he's a franchise quarterback yet. There's this weird, like, pearl-clutching, how-dare-you thing that happens. And it's not just a one-off, right? Well, that's just one person. No, it's not. This is a common thing. Here is, uh, who is this, Carr, I think, talking about which Cinderella team that missed the playoffs could end up making the playoffs this year. Process, right? So I'm looking at a team that has like three or four wins, right? The Giants did it. They went from four wins to the playoffs. Jaguars. So why can't the Bears do it? Thank you, Baldy. Why can't the Bears? I'm saying the Bears find a way to figure it out. Like They had a great season from their quarterback they didn't win they had a great season from their quarterback see what i'm talking about what are you, what world am i living in right now let's take a gander at pff let's just look at teams team passing grades the worst team in football the jets the second worst team the bears not overall team grade not receipt not terrible receivers not terrible offensive line terrible passing justin fields played <laughs> 15 games and threw for 2,242 yards. Chicago was dead last in passing yards. I, I just, I mean, listen, I understand sometimes we kind of round up a little bit, especially these guys on TV. They don't like to be negative. They like to be positive. But in what universe are we talking about the guy that is maybe the worst, like the worst passing team, the worst thrower of the football? We're talking about he had a good season. 54 passing grade fourth highest turnover worthy play percentage like i don't want to go through every single thing again but he was just terrible like i i, I understand he ran for 1100 yards like that's great 1100 yards eight touchdowns jalen hurts had 900 yards and 18 rushing touchdowns josh allen had eight rushing touchdowns daniel jones had seven rushing touchdowns Taysom hill who didn't even play as much had seven rushing touchdowns like, I'm super glad you got eight touchdowns and a bunch of yards. Like, that's wonderful. You know, and you can easily point to the parallels between that and what Lamar Jackson did. I mean, Lamar had a better year in 2019, but in 2020, 1,175 yards and eight touchdowns. That's almost identical to what Fields did. The difference is Lamar's passing grade was a 75, not a 55. So, listen, if you want to get on Lamar Jackson's level, like peak Lamar, you need like an 85 passing grade and 3,500 passing yards and 37 touchdowns and eight interceptions, because that's what he did when he won MVP, on top of 1,300 rushing yards. So you didn't even run enough. So you got to throw significantly better for a lot more yards and a lot more touchdowns and less interceptions and run for more yards and run for more touchdowns. 
If you think you can do that, then then we can talk about you maybe being Lamar Jackson. You know, at least peak Lamar Jackson. But I just do not understand this. He had a great season. No, he didn't. Continuing on. They want, they got some capital, put some pieces around him, let him grow as a player, and I think this team can find their way into the playoffs next season. They got some capital. Well, they don't. They spent it all. Put some pieces around him. Let him grow. They didn't really put any pieces around him. Um, but yeah, they could they could let him grow, and then and then and that's it. So they Fields was good last year. They had some capital, which they don't anymore. Put some pieces around him, which maybe he's saying. I don't know. He's not speaking in complete sentences. Maybe he's saying if if they put some pieces around him, he could thrive. But I mean, what 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 kind of simplistic nonsense is this? How are the Bears going to go from a three-win team to the playoffs? Well, Fields was good last year. Okay. That's why they won three games, right? Okay. So because he was good last year and will continue to be good, and then the Bears have a lot of money, even though they don't anymore, and then they went out and got like a low-end number one, high-end number two type of wide receiver. So that's that's it. Then now just playoffs then. Okay. You know, Stacey Dales recently said that Poles gets an A++. I, I feel like this is, I mean, do we do we just feel bad for the Bears? Is that what this is? And we treat them like little children? Like, is Ryan Poles an inept child that we have to, oh, A++ oh, a plus plus for the offseason moves because they traded away the number one pick, which they didn't earn. I mean, they did by sucking so bad. But how do you get credit because somebody said, I'll give you a bunch of stuff, and you're like, okay, oh, wow. Anybody can trade away a number one overall pick. It doesn't take any effort. Now, again, you, you could pretend that they fleeced the Carolina Panthers, which we've already been over that. They absolutely did not. But they get an A++ because they traded the number one pick that they acquired for being so garbage and got DJ Moore. I mean, can you imagine if they actually got all those players that Bears fans thought they were going to get? Elton Jenkins. If they had actually gotten Mike McGlinchey before he decided, nah, never mind, I'm going to go play for Mr. Unlimited. <laughs> you imagine if they got anybody on any list whatsoever? I mean, they didn't get one person on anybody's list. Not one. Hey, hey, go find me a list anywhere of any Bears fans saying, you know what we need? Tremaine Edmonds. It doesn't exist. There's a massive list of players that people thought would be a great addition for the Chicago Bears. None of them went to Chicago. Maybe somewhere you can find like a Nate Davis or something. I don't know. Elton Jenkins? Nope. Deron Payne? Or was it Jonathan Allen? Which fairy tale were they? I think it was Deron Payne. They didn't get anything. But, but Stacey Dales is going to give them an A++. Wow. They would have gotten like 17 pluses if they had drafted or gotten anybody. Which, you know what the other thing is? This is going to happen in the draft, too. It doesn't matter what they do. The guy neglected offense and didn't do anything to help Justin Fields, and it was just all praise for this wonderful draft that the Chicago Bears had. Of course, if the Packers do that, it's how dare you neglect your quarterback. Justin Fields played like garbage, needed a lot of help, and he goes and gets back-to-back defensive players, and it's, wow, what a great move. Which, by the way, I didn't necessarily disagree. Take the best player available. But the fact of the matter is it's complete biased garbage. We got to put on kid gloves for Justin Fields. We got to put on kid gloves for Ryan Poles. I don't know why. It's really sad and pathetic. Anyways, I, I was scouring around to try to find out what other people are talking about. Um, and again, there there is this weird thing where, on one hand, it's a great football team. On the other hand, like he needs tight ends, he needs wide receivers, he needs offense. It's like, okay, well, are they are they like on the verge of doing something, or are they an entire team away? 
I, I, I can't quite get an answer on that. But one of the things that keeps coming up is they absolutely need a better offensive line, right? Garbage offensive line. Now, it depends who you ask because if you get into it with Bears fans, they'll tell you that they love their offensive line, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't matter because when you talk about Justin Fields, everything else is trash. Justin Fields was sacked 55 times tied with Russell Wilson last year via PFF. And so you look at that and you say, yeah, dude uh, was constantly getting sacked, et cetera, et cetera, right? Here's a question, though. If you look at how many times a quarterback was sacked in 2.5 seconds or less, where do you think Justin Fields ranks on that list? Number one was Russell Wilson 10 times. Then was Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert nine times. Marcus Mariota, Davis Mills, and Geno Smith eight times. Kirk Cousins and Tom Brady seven times. Brock Purdy, Ryan Tannehill, Kyler Murray, Matt Ryan, and Daniel Jones six times. Zach Wilson, Carson Wentz, Tua Tungavailoa, Trevor Lawrence, and Josh Allen five times. Finally, Andy Dalton, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, and Jalen Hurts four times. By the way, just for reference, Aaron Rodgers twice. So yeah, if we look at all things being equal, then yes, he was sacked a lot of times. But if you're talking about how many times he had pressure in his face, how many times he was sacked in less than two and a half seconds, and the reason they draw that line at two and a half seconds is that's around the time you're supposed to be throwing the ball. So how many times was he sacked when he was extending the play? A lot. Because he extended the play a lot more than everybody else. He wasn't getting the ball out of his hand. Now, maybe that's because of the wide receiver's fine. But if we're going to sit here and blame the offensive line, I'm just saying you might be barking up the wrong tree. So anyways, another year of the Bears being treated with kid gloves as long as Justin Fields is their quarterback. Which is fine because just like last year, it just means that the bar is set high. We got last year told about their wide receivers being good and their offensive line being good and Justin Fields being good and all this, great pass rushers, best depth at pass rush in the NFL, all this stuff. And then they ended up being the worst team in football. So we'll do it again. We'll do the exact same game all over again. They did so much in free agency and Justin Fields is so good and all this stuff, right? DJ Moore going to be so, so all that. Yeah. So we'll see how it ends up. Once again, just like every freaking year. Best of luck. I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.